Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. joy to be here. It really is. Well, let me start by reading to you a few verses from the Bible, some more familiar verses, <clears throat> I'm sure, to some of you. I'm going to read from Second Chronicles chapter 20, so you might want to turn there or click there, Second Chronicles chapter 20 and from verse 6. Familiar prayer. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our afflictions, and you will hear, and you will save. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from out from the land of Egypt and from and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive out of your possessions, drive us out of your possession, which you have given us in inheritance. Let me just pause to say, you know, if ever you're invited to preaching, you don't have much to say. Read a lot of verses. <laughs> That's my advice. Read a lot of verses, tell a lot of stories, and then say in Jesus' name and run away as fast as you can. So I have a lot of verses to read today. He prayed, Oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us, and we do not know what to do, but our eyes are rising on you. It really is a, a joy to be here. And I'm not just giving you preliminary uh, niceties at the outset of a sermon. It really is a joy to be here because 
this house and all its expressions in, to all of you in uh, Peterborough, London, Leicester, Cambridge, this house represents a house that God's hand is so on because many people, I'm sure you know, I hope you know, that many leaders come here to meet with God and to learn from one another what God has taught them. And even for us as a church, this house has been just such a blessing. And then to have as people that really we would count real friends, like Dave said, we get to meet in different contexts, to have Dave and Karen as friends and incredibly humble people, it's a joy for me to, even if it's just an eyedrop of goodness, to come back and give something back to this great house where God is doing great things. To God be the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with singing. What a verse. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee. The Lord thy God in the house. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee. Says he's mighty. It's the Bible's way of describing a God who, if I could put it like this, is the picture of one who is babysitting. Where he's carrying a baby and loving it. Looking over it. And singing over the baby. And just loving it with gladness. And he talks about, he talks about not just loving it. He's exalting over it. Just thrilled with this baby and quieting the baby with his love. Shh. The Lord thy God in the midst of the, oh, he's mighty. It means he is strong. He protects. He is able. There is nothing that he cannot do. But for him to do all those things, he'll, to be the effective father that he wants to be, he needs to be, oh, in the house. Like the mother is with the baby in the house. is why I love this series, Jesus in the house. Talking, of course, about a house, not talking there about building, not the, talking about people, not the building, not the, the furniture or the frame or the fixtures. Talking about God's people gathered together for God. Why I love in Matthew 21, where you doubtless know it so well, Jesus, he says, went into the temple, which tells me, by the way, that Jesus went to church. <laughs> That's a good thing to know. Jesus went to church. It's his way. He went into the temple. And in getting to the temple, seeing things that ought not be that way, he begins to fix it. He begins to bring it back and restore it, bring it to what it ought to be because it's gone way off target. He begins by cleansing it. You know much of that by now. And as he did it then, he's still doing it these days. It's his house, not yours. You're just a steward in it. It's his house. It's all his. And so he comes into it and begins to cleanse it. He doesn't just cleanse it, he puts back what ought to be happening in it. He says, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. So he restores prayer. And then he begins to do in it what only God can do that you might know this is God's house. 
signs, wonders, miracles, healings. The people poured in because Jesus was in the house. I love it. I love it. So much so that his Bible tells us the people were praising. The children were praising and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna to him. And of course, there's always those ones or twos, sad to say, the Pharisees, in the name of good theology, they're wondering, how could you accept this kind of praise? And they're decrying it, but the children were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's praise. It's worship. It's adoration. Let me ask you a question. Who do you praise? Who do you praise? We live in a world today, in our society, where the people to praise seem to be the celebrities. Or people praise celebrities all the time. And then what even shocks me really is what passes for celebrity these days. It's like virtually everybody's a celebrity. I mean, to be a celebrity, surely there's got to be a degree of achievements and accomplishments, some kind of skill, something that is really over and above. Oh, but these days, anybody's a celebrity. In fact, the other day I saw a program, by the time I finished watching, it felt like this person was a celebrity, whom I've never heard about this person, was a celebrity, but they were celebrating the fact that his job was he was a celebrity. <laughs> so what in the world is that? That's it? That's your job? He's yeah, he's a celebrity. That's what we celebrate him. In fact, there's a program where, uh, I forget the title of the program, where they watch people, the cameras on people watching a television program. And then they watch them for their reactions and their opinions. And then people become celebrities just by watching television. I mean, what is going on? <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> and so they'll watch these things and applaud on them and so on. And people become real celebrities. Some of them make a lot of money. Be careful who you praise because praise is very linked to worship, which links to very much actually in the Bible to glory. When you're applauding the glory of a man, be careful. Oh, for sure, we need to give praise. We give praise to children. We give praise to people who've done well. But never to the level that we ought to praise God. Never to the level we ought to praise God. Because, you see, the glory of man is acquired. The glory of God is intrinsic. Man has to work to get glory. God has glory. He has it naturally. It just comes out of him, the God that we serve. It's been rightly said, just as heat is to fire and air is to water and, and, uh, and air is to wind and wet is to water, in the same way, glory is to God. It's just who he is. It's what he has. So be careful the next time you praise someone. Don't overdo it. Because you see, man, for all his brilliance and skills and all of his achievements or even beauty, at some day it'll all go. Oh, Yeah. I've seen those programs too where I saw one the other day, the lady was, you know, this is how she was, Miss some nation, Miss world or something. But now she was so much older and I'm telling you, oh, it just wasn't a good day. <laughs> it just wasn't good. <laughs> it just wasn't, and she made everything. She'd done it all, still. When it comes to man, his brilliance will diminish. His skills will get flaws. His beauty will fade. But the God that we serve, his glory never fades. 
His glory never fades. Never fades. Because his glory represents the sum total of his character. Who he is, his power, his standards, his value. The Old Testament word for glory was kabod. The Hebrew word kabod. It spoke of weight, that which is substantial, that which is heavy. We say, don't we, about a person who is showing off, we say, he's throwing, he came in and he was throwing his weight around. Oh, you ain't seen no weight here until you see God. He is substantial, immovable. He is incomparable. There is none like him. No wonder nature talks about him. But the Bible tells us, Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the firmament and his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no one like our God. In Psalm 19, you know what the Bible is saying there? It's showing you that there's a very deliberate design behind all the display that you see. He created it all with a whisper, let it be. And it was. Oh, you bet you're going to worship him when you meet him. Because that's power, raw. In Psalm chapter 8, the Bible tells us this. Oh, Lord, as the psalmist says, oh, Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It says you have set your glory above the heavens. You've set above the heavens. When I look at the heavens, the works of your fingers, not, not the works of your hand, big work, for God, with his, the works of your finger, that which you got, it gives the impression he did it over lunch. <laughs> the works of your fingers, the stars and the moon which you have created. So what exactly is man? The Bible is trying to describe to you amazing things, the stars, the galaxies, the planets, everything that this God, almighty God has made, the solar system. No wonder the songwriters pens it right. Oh God, you are beautiful beyond description. You're marvelous, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension. So I have no choice but just to stand, chagrin to a spot, to stand in awe of you. What I'm trying to tell you is this. The reason for which we worship is obvious in the Bible. You don't even have to read it to really get it. The reason for which we worship, Christian, is simply this. We worship because we were created to worship God. That's, how, that's what, the purpose for which you were created. We were created because God wanted us. Having made us in his image to be people who sing his praises. And it does you and I good when we do it. Not because he is insecure. Oh, God is very secure. Very secure. He is dependable. The reason for which we worship is because the Bible commands it so. That since you have been called to worship, you might, have dwell, you might as well be careful who you therefore worship if you've been called to do it. He commands it, therefore, have no other gods besides me. But I want to suggest to you one of the biggest reasons to worship is because you are compelled to do so. That when you see his character, you see nature speaking about him, scrupulously obeying him, that something just comes out of your being that honors him, that gives him the praise that he deserves. Rabbi Zacharias, not said, uh, Christian apologist, tells a story growing up in India long, long, long time ago. In his little town where he was growing up, they brought the cinema for the first time. You know, when people could go to a place and watch cinema, just something small. And, uh, and he, one of the workers in the yards there, the gardener, he, gardener, I think it was, he'd heard about this cinema deal everybody's talking about. You can see things. 
And so he decides to go. He goes there. The only problem is this. Instead of coming into the cinema from the front end, somehow he ends up coming from the back. And so he comes through. And in coming through, all he sees is he sees the projector. And he sees the beams of lights as they're dazzling and bouncing around. And then he sees the particles on the inside looking at them moving. And he thinks that that's the film. And he's looking at it thinking, this is amazing. This is amazing. Until somebody taps him, what are you doing here? And by the way, that's not the thing. This is it. He turns around and goes, oh! That's what it's like when you see God. The only reason a person could stand chewing gum, staring, feeling bored during the time of corporate worship, you're not seeing him right. Because when you see him, you find yourself hands raised. You find yourself worshiping him. You find yourself in awe. That's, you find yourself saying like it's been rightly written, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. And if the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks rise up inside, so will I. Why? It's the purpose for which I was made. The purpose for which I was made. The reason we worship, secondly, the practice of worship. That there's a whole posture in worship that the Bible gives to you and I. That we worship God with our minds, that is our thoughts. Worship God with understanding, it says in the Psalms. That we worship him with our emotions, with our hearts, with our being, with real passion. I mean, like, with real passion. When I first came to England, you know, I, I, now I'm a Nigerian, okay? Everything Nigerians do is loud. Everything. When they say hello, loud. When they say hi, very loud. When they're in parties, oh my goodness. And when they're in church, though, oh... They really go for it when they're in church. They, well, imagine when I first came, go, attended the church, and worship was carrying on, and it felt like God had died, <laughs> and that we killed him. <laughs> I mean, it just, it, this was not good. It felt like a funeral. I, what's going on? I said, what happened? What happened to this church? It turns out nothing happened. You felt like saying, oh, no, they don't know. They think he's dead. Let me tell them about the resurrection. They're like, mm-hmm, we know about the resurrection. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't stand. See, I grew up in a context. Oh, my goodness me. You wouldn't want to give them 10 out of 10 for their deep theology in their songs. You wouldn't want to give them 10 out of 10 for complication and amazing musicality with their songs because they would sing songs like, what wonderful man is Jesus, hallelujah. That was it. That, that's actually his whole song. What marvelous man is Jesus, hallelujah. What marvelous man is Jesus, hallelujah. And then the worship leader will maybe add one extra thing. He makes the blind to see. Everybody goes, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. That was it. I mean, everybody knew the song. The following week, we'll come back and say, there's only one thing, though. They will sing it again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until a vortex of worship is happening, until praise really grasps you, until every single word in that song is a message to you prophetically. And then in the midst of all of that, an atmosphere of faith gets birth, and no wonder they see signs and wonders and miracles, because they've come to realize we're serving the God of heaven. That's worship. They give everything into it. 
Oh, we worship him with our minds, with our emotions, and even with our bodies. We worship him with our bodies. Look at the Bible says we should. With our voices raised. Our voices raised on high. I will sing of his mercy, of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, with my mouth, will I make known his faithfulness. That's why we sing. Because the Bible commands it so. Oh, we stand because we want to honor him. We kneel because we must decrease and he must increase. We clap and we shout because the Bible tells us Psalm 46. Clap your hands, all you nations, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. We bow down because we want to humble ourselves before. Every time we do this, sit down, stand up, hands raised. It is not mere calisthenics. It is us honoring the God of heaven. Oh, Isaiah knew that well. And the Bible tells us Isaiah Went into, was in the temple, it says, and the Lord came, wait for it, inside the house, into the temple. And his train filled the whole temple. And Isaiah describing all the amazing things that he's seen as the, as the seraphim and cherubim are bowing down, bowing. It gives me the impression that they bow, bow down, close their eyes, they go back up, as each time they say, holy, holy. Why do they keep going up and down? It's almost like they get up and they see a side of God, his sovereignty, his power. Ooh, you go back down, holy. You come back up and you say, oh my goodness, this side, his goodness, his inexhaustible resource. Oh, you go back. And that's how they keep going. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Full of his glory. Isaiah got it. If now, if those angelic beings knew rights to worship God, everything moving, why wouldn't you? In fact, Isaiah says this. He said, when God came, he said, the foundations shook. One translation said, the threshold of the doorpost is shook. Think about that. Because God came into the house, the building fixtures, dead inanimate objects, had the good sense to shake in the presence of God. So how much more me to give him the praise that he deserves? Oh, it's in our mind, our emotions, and our body. A man one day had a vision. Had this vision, and he saw himself standing on a concrete slab. But it wasn't just a slab. It's like 100 miles wide, 100 miles deep. It's solid. It makes him feel his own creatureliness and how tiny he is. And he's the only one there. He looks up into the sky and he sees just lightning, thunderings, and he sees the skies and he sees the galaxy. He sees all these all incredible colors. All, he's the only one there. He feels this tiny. In the midst of all of this, with his mouth zoom, keeping quiet, a voice comes and says to him, Hello. Who's that? It's me, God. He says, I'm, I'm sorry I came here. I shouldn't have come into your house. I didn't realize it. But I, he's carrying, but I cannot. You know, he loves it. He loves this place. He loves it. And he's fearful at the same time. This myriad of emotions are mixed on the inside. He says, I'm sorry I won't come again, although I really like it. I'd love to stay. And God says, hmm. Instead of you staying, how about I come to your house? He says, but I live in a one-bedroom flat. He says, you can't come. You wouldn't fit. I mean, you wouldn't fit. He says, 
what if I come and make myself, I shrink myself into the form of a man like you? Then I'll fit. But why would you do that for me to come to my house? And God does it and goes home with him. They get to his one bedroom. In fact, God is in the living room. He sleeps in his bedroom. He doesn't sleep or wink all night. He doesn't sleep or wink all night. And then morning comes, he gets up, and he is so strong, so fresh, so peaceful. He's never felt like this before. And the, whole, the first thought in his mind, I wonder what God, is he still there? Goes next door to see if he's still. He get opens the door and there's God. I mean, he's sitting down in his living room. He says to God, "Did you, did you, are you, did you sleep okay?" He says, "I never sleep. I never slumber." He says, "Why not?" He says, "Because I'm watching over you. You love me that much." He says, "I love you. I love you when you come." He says, "I can't explain it. Everything is different." But I have to go to work. I have to go. I'll tell you what. I have to go, but I will be back as soon as I can. If you're in the fridge, you can eat anything you want. <laughs> you can have anything. You, it's all yours. It's all yours. To which God does what you're doing. God laughs and laughs. Say, why are you laughing? He said, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. He said, I'm going to work. God says to him, absolutely, let's go. He said, you can't come to my office. What would the people say? God says, I'm there all the time. <gasps> Well, I want to apologize for what happened last Thursday, Lord. I shouldn't have said what I said. <laughs> and he goes to the office, and God is with him. Right there by his side. Not just that. On the way there, not just is God walking with him, God is joking with him. He, in fact, he holds his hand, and he walks with him. And he talks with him. And every so often, he will punctuate the conversations with, I love you. The guy gets to work. He begins to greet everybody nicely. He gets to work. He is showing goodness and gratitude. He is loving everyone. He is helping people. He is generous. He's, I mean, it's like he's just changed. You and I, we can worship with our minds, with our emotions, in a context like this with our bodies. But we are called to worship him also with our lives. That is a whole big difference when you live with the consciousness of his presence with you. The change is completely different in every way. That is, worship goes beyond the passion of a moment. It is the journey of a lifetime and the choices of your lifestyle. Where David actually says, oh Lord, your steadfast love extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And your wisdom is like majestic mountains and like the depths of the sea. And yet you come to me. Why would you come to someone like me? Because he loves you. That's why worship is a privilege. It's a privilege. The reason we worship, the practice of worship, and finally, the power of worship. I love the fact that in Matthew 21, when you read it, I love the fact that Jesus moved in power and then the people praised him. But I want to suggest to you, when you first become a Christian, you will see that. He's moving in power. You just, everything is changing. And you're praising because he moved. But I want to help you understand, as you grow older, all oh, some things shift. No longer does he want to do and then you praise. He wants you to praise and then he will do. 
And that switch, you are wise to learn it now. That switch is critical. In fact, that switch is even hidden there in the book of Matthew because they were shouting, not just you're amazing, they were saying Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, which means we see what you've done. You can do the most important thing, save us. Oh, it's one thing to praise him because of what he has done and we ought to. It's another thing to praise him when you're still waiting for him to do and he hasn't. And he wants that. Why? Because he wants you to be caught up in an endless hallelujah that is going on. He wants your voice there. Why? Because he wants to know that your expression of love is real. How deep is your love? Why? Because he wants you to grow in faith, that you live by faith and not just by sight. Not just praising him because of what has happened, but praising him because of who he is and he never changes. Can you shout amen to that? He never changes. Not just that. Above all, the greatest miracle that he's going to do in your life if you're a Christian, the greatest miracle he has already done, salvation. And all your days you should be singing his praise. And you see this kinds of thing, the power of worship. Praising him even before anything happens in the lives of people like the King Jehoshaphat. I read his story to you. And doubtless you know the story pretty well. Because he was not a perfect man. In fact, in many ways, he was a man that was very imperfect. But then he loved God in his heart. He always wanted to do good. Enemies were coming to him. And so he heard about the enemies and he did not know what to do. The Bible tells us, and so he feared, like many of us. But the point here is this. This story teaches us the power over fear. Although he feared initially, in the end, he gets what he's praying for. Why? Because this is a lesson to tell you and I that your, initial, your fear does not disqualify you from getting what you're wanting, not with this God. He, then he begins to seek the face of God with prayers. And he prays out to God. And he appeals to God. He appeals to his personality. You're the one that made everything. Appeals to his work in history. We've seen the things that you've done. Now you've driven away the enemies before us. But now, oh God... And now he begins to appeal to his power, where he says to him, oh God, these enemies that are coming, he says this, we are powerless, but our eyes, our eyes are on you. This is how to do worship. Your eyes are fixed on him. And you, the New Testament king, your eyes are fixed on none other, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And then a voice came prophetically as they were seeking God with prayer and fasting. I know some people who've been doing that, where the voice said, do not be afraid. This is an instruction. Do not be dismayed. He said, the battle is not yours, because the battle is the Lord's. Can you shout amen to that? As it was then, it still is now. The battle is the Lord's. He says, tomorrow go down to the battlefield. Well, it, when, when all this happens, Jehoshua falls down and worships. Everybody worships. But then the following day, they're going to go to the battlefield. But since God says the battle is not yours, there are no weapons going to be used, the Bible actually says he, gets, he gathers all his people around to discuss what they're going to do. And they discuss it and decide, well, if we're not going to have, you know, we're not going to shout, we're not going to have weapons, what are we going to do, go and do with our hands and with our mouths? And they do what they were made by God to do. They praise with their mouth, with their instruments in their hands. And you know the story well, everything. The enemy was destroyed, they got there, and all they had to do was just to take the good that God had prepared for them. He praised before he saw. 
the power of praise over fear or the power of praise over strongholds. Where you know the story well of Joshua, where they're coming out, the children of Israel, and they hit Jericho. And the wall of Jericho standing there, staring them down, and relentless in its intention to say, you will never get past here. And sometimes there are people that have Jerichos in their lives. Sometimes it's the physical, it's just the physical side of life, illnesses that by now should have gone, but are there. Sometimes it has to do with the mental side of life, thoughts that infiltrate the person's mind and it feels like they cannot stop the recurring negative voice that is going on. For some, it is emotional Jericho's anxieties that just pierce their hearts, sudden moments of attacks, and they don't know how to deal with this. When those things are relentless, ongoing, and defining of a person's life, they're strongholds. And these strongholds need to be brought down. And they can be brought down. And the way that they brought the walls of Jericho down is this. They were singing songs. They sang and they shouted where the Bible tells us. And so they shouted with a loud shout and the walls of Jericho came down. Or you think of those who are going through depressive, sad seasons. There is power of worship is, can come over fears, over strongholds, over disappointments. Habakkuk says to God, I don't know what is happening. Why do you even show me these things? I see iniquity, destruction. I see violence. I see strife. I see contentions with the law. Everything is broken. And God says to him, the vision is for an appointed time. Listen, there's somebody here that needs to hear. The vision is for an appointed time. Wait for it. Though it looks like it will tarry, it will not tarry. It will surely come. And God does what he will do in a way that Habakkuk never imagined. So that at the end of it, Habakkuk begins to praise God. Even before he sees it, where he says, although the fig tree may not blossom and the fruits may not be in the vines, although there may be no produce and the olives and the fields may not have yield, yet will I praise him. To praise him before you see, so that in praising him you can see. It's probably the single person waiting all this time for a partner and it hasn't happened. It's the parent who is praying for a child that has gone astray. It is the person who is looking for a job and all this time it has. It's the person battling with their health or relationship that have become so fractured in life that they don't know what to do about it. The Bible will say this to you. His promise still stands. His faithfulness is still great. And that since he has never failed before, he will never fail you now. If there's a lesson here, it is this. Learn to never waste your waiting seasons. Let your waiting seasons never be wasted. Let your waiting seasons be worship seasons. And then you will see the goodness of the hand of the Lord. Would you stand up with me, everyone, in all, wherever you are, wherever you are, all the, all the sides, wherever you are. Because the picture that you see up right now is a picture of a lady in our church. Her name is Elenista. She's Albanian. She came to the church, came to really know the Lord. And then eventually her boyfriend came over, brought him to the church. He became a Christian. Got born again in the church. They got married actually on a Sunday morning in the church. Many, many months later, she will come to me to say, Pastor, I am pregnant. I said, okay, that's good. And then she says, she says, you know, uh, uh, the only thing is uh, some doctors a long time ago told me not to be pregnant because of some problem, but I trust God. Okay, I said. 
as the pregnancy progressed, it got to a certain point, her womb began to rupture. Her womb began to come apart. And sad to say, eventually, it tore open. The doctors were so upset with her. Why didn't you tell us you had situations before? Her womb ruptured, the baby died. When she tells this story, she talks about deep, dark nights in her life. She talks about many times she would wake up in the middle of the night and just walk the streets. 2 a.m., 3 a.m., often her husband would think she just went to lose. She's outside. He would go find her and bring her. When she tells this story, she talks about herself, a God-loving person who somehow could not pray anymore, it felt. But she always had her worship. She had questions, but she always had her worship. And she was warned, never get pregnant again. All the months will go by, she comes to me one day and says to me, Pastor, I'm pregnant again. I said, you are? She says to me, Pastor, have faith. Uh, The roles have changed. She says, have faith. And I knew what the battle was. I called the whole church. And we prayed for every single day. We became watchmen over her. We did. And we prayed and sang. One morning, would you believe it, the same week that the previous child died, her womb begins to rupture. She gets rushed into the hospital, and it's just such a bad situation. I get a phone call. In fact, they get, she calls me, and she can't speak, and I knew that's Ellenista. She couldn't speak, even though I knew it was her. I got in the car as quickly as I can, rushed to the hospital, and I, 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 what could I do but pray? And even in those moments, but pray, just, I just worshipped him. Because I know that you're the one, oh God, who gives life. You give life. You give breath. And prayed and prayed. Called the whole church to pray. By the grace of God, that baby was born. And the picture you see now is her carrying her baby. The God that we serve. And I'm telling you this today. That you may know. That the Lord your God in your midst, he is mighty. He cares. He knows whatever it is that you're going through. And nothing equates to him. If you will praise him and worship him and wait well, he will do things in your life that you never imagined because he is a good God and no one can take that from him in Jesus' name. God bless you all.